0: You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On the evening of May 3rd, 2007, a three-year-old girl went missing from her bed during the night while her family was on vacation at a resort in Praia da Luz in Portugal. This case has been described as the most heavily reported missing person case in modern history and, to this day, 15 years later, her whereabouts still remain unknown. German prosecutors believe that the young girl is certainly dead, but her family, people that knew the family, and people who don't know the family all continue to hold out hope that she is still alive. At the very least... We hope that all of the eyes and attention on this case now, so long after, will ensure that regardless of the outcome, everyone involved will get a sense of closure in this case. Hello, and welcome to Gone But Never Forgotten, The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to GBNF. I hope that you and yours are all well and that you're succeeding at this little thing that we call life. Things here at GBNF are running on all cylinders, and sometimes you just know that you're on the right track. For me, with this podcast, it's twofold. First, obviously, we're gaining traction and steam. We have more people listening than ever, and we have more interaction with our listeners than we ever have before. All of that is amazing. But also, I always say that when you start really moving and shaking and pushing forward, the world starts to get more difficult around you because everything seems to work against your success. My family seems to be dealing with all kinds of sickness and pain of late, but damn it, we just keep moving. But let's focus on the positive side of that coin and give a quick plug for our social media and ways that our fans can reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and email if you want to reach out about a case, say hello, or let us know how we're doing. We're all over the place and always looking to meet more and more of you. And of course, don't forget, if you do like what you hear here, you can support the show by signing up on our Patreon, making a donation to the show, or purchasing some merch. I cannot stress enough that everything we have seen so far in terms of that merch has been incredible. I'm definitely wearing my GBNF hoodie often and the quality of the sweater and the logo blow me away. If you haven't checked out the merch store yet, please do. We've also been getting a lot of feedback from all of you since we went to the weekly format. So thank you for reaching out. Thank you for appreciating what I'm doing here and thank you for listening to each and every one of the episodes of GBNF. You goners make everything that we do worth it and possible. This week, as I said off the top, I'm going to be doing a Gone Traveling episode, and I'm doing something rare in that I'm covering a case that is still very present in the media right now. There have been some updates to the case of late, and as we just passed the anniversary date of her disappearance, The push is on, almost more than ever, to finally get some answers and some solid evidence and closure on this case. Fifteen years have passed since Madeline went missing, and my heart absolutely breaks and goes out to this family. We seem to have been doing a few shows lately that involve children, and they do tear at your heartstrings even more than most cases. With that said, let's head to Portugal and get you all caught up. On where this case started and where it is today Madeline McCann was born in Leicester and lived with her family in Rothley which is also in the Leicestershire area of the UK her parents are both physicians and practicing Roman Catholics her mom Kate Marie McCann was born Kate Healy in 1968 in Hyten, near Liverpool. She graduated in 1992 with a degree in medicine from the University of Dundee. She started working on obstetrics and gynecology, and then moved to anesthetics and finally settled into a general practice. Her father, Gerald Patrick McCann, born in 1968 in Glasgow, Scotland, Graduated from the University of Glasgow with a Bachelor of Science in Physiology and Sports Science in 1989. In 1992, he qualified in medicine and he obtained his M.D. in 2002 from Glasgow as well. Since 2005, he had been a consultant cardiologist at Glenfield Hospital in Leicester. Kate and Jerry met in 1993 in Glasgow, and then got married in 1998. Madeline would be their first child, born in 2003, and they would also have twins, a boy and a girl, in 2005. In May of 2007, the family was on vacation at a resort in Praia da Luz in the Algarve region of Portugal. You will find the group that they were vacationing with referred to as the Tapas Seven, and that group included seven friends and eight children in all. The group included were people that were previously known to the McCanns, Fiona and David Payne, both of whom were physicians. They were with their two children and Fiona's mother, Diane Webster. The two families had been friends for many years. Accompanying them were two couples that the Paynes had originally introduced to the McCanns. Jane Tanner, a marketing manager, and her partner, Russell O'Brien, who was a physician, were there with their two children, and Matthew Oldfield, another physician, was there with his wife, Rachel Oldfield, who was a lawyer and their daughter. The McCann family arrived at the resort on April 28, 2007, for what was to be a seven-night spring break. The area that they were staying in in Portugal is also known as Little Britain, because a lot of the homeowners in the area and vacationers came from Britain. The apartment that they were staying in was located at 5A on Agostino da Silva. It was an apartment that was owned by a retired teacher from Liverpool. This was actually one of several privately owned properties that were rented out by Mark Warner Limited, the British holiday company that the McCann family had rented their apartment through. The resort, while a resort, was actually made up of private homes. It wasn't kind of a standalone um, sort of resort like many of us would be familiar with. Apartment 5A, where they were staying, was a two-bedroom apartment on the ground floor matthew and rachel oldfield were staying next door in 5b jane turner and russell o'brien were in 5d and the Paines and diane webster were staying on the first floor of the same house the unit that the mccann family was staying in was directly on the corner of two streets and therefore accessible from two sides there were sliding glass doors in the living room at the back that overlooked the club's pool tennis courts restaurant and bar those doors could be accessed via a public street the front door though was on the opposite side of the ocean club and facing out onto a different road the mccann's three children were sleeping in a bedroom that was next to the front door which was kept locked at all times the bedroom had one window that was located waist high and had curtains and a metal exterior shutter over the window The curtains and the shutter were kept closed for the duration of the holiday. Madeline slept in a single bed next to the bedroom door on the opposite side of the window, and the twins were sleeping on travel cots that were in the middle of the room. There was another single bed in the room that remained unused. Thursday, May 3, 2007 was to be the penultimate day of the trip for the family. The day seemingly went as the other days had gone. The children spent the morning at the kids' club at the resort, and the family all got together to have lunch back at their apartment before heading to the pool. At the poolside was where the last known photograph of Madeline was taken at roughly 2.30 p.m. that afternoon. She was sitting next to the pool with her father Jerry and her two-year-old sister. After the time in the pool... The children would then return to the kids' club where they would remain until 6 PM. That is when Kate went to pick them up and bring them back to the apartment. Jerry was attending a tennis lesson. Around 7 PM, the children were all put to bed. Madeline was sleeping in a short sleeved pink and white set of pajamas that were adorned with Eeyore. This will come into play a little later. At eight thirty PM. Jerry and Kate would partake in what had become a bit of a routine on the vacation. All of the adults would get together at that time at the resort's tapas restaurant to enjoy a meal together and catch up. The families had even asked the restaurant to reserve a specific table for them so that they could see the apartments were located on the other side of the pool to ensure that everything was good at the apartment. This would become, though, a major point in the case, as it was believed that perhaps someone had seen a message that was left out in the open at the Tapas restaurant that stated that the Tapas 7 wanted to have that specific table set aside for them. The message would then go on to add that they wanted that table because their children were all inside the apartment sleeping and they wanted to be able to keep a watchful eye. That's not to say that everyone was not still aware of the children and checking on them. Someone from the group would head over to check on the children every half hour or so to ensure that all was well in the rentals. 5A was about 180 feet from the restaurant. The top of the apartment, though, was the only part visible from the table, not the doors to the apartment. Because the patio doors that they were using to check on the children could only be locked from inside the apartment, the doors were left unlocked while they were out, granting the family easy access to get back into the unit when needed and when checking on the children. For this next little bit, I'm going to go take a look at the timeline of events as they would have occurred based on eyewitness accounts, But um, obviously I need you to understand that the information that came from eyewitnesses obviously came later, after the police were on scene and interviews were being conducted. For now, I do want to follow along as best I can reconstructing that night based on everything that we know. The first check was completed by Jerry, who went into 5A at roughly 9.05 p.m. He would find the children sleeping, and everything was well in the apartment. Only one thing stuck out to him, though, as he checked on them. Uh, He did believe that he had left the bedroom door to the children almost closed. When he arrived to check on them, though, at 9.05 p.m., the door was now wide open. So, while he was there, he pulled the door nearly closed again when he left to return to the restaurant. Jane Tanner would leave the restaurant just after 9 PM also to go check on her own daughter. She said that she passed Jerry on Rua Francisco Gentil Martin, the street that backed that followed back to the restaurant, as he was returning from his own apartment check. She said that Jerry had stopped to talk to another man in the street. Jane would later tell the local police that around 9.15 p.m. she did notice a man carrying a young child just in front of her, heading east, away from 5A. She didn't seem alarmed by this when she saw it, though, and didn't mention it at all until the police started to interview her and others at the scene. Around 10 p.m. is when things really started to change kate was intending to check on her children at 9:30, but matthew oldfield offered to do it instead because he was going to check on his own children in the apartment next door he said that he noticed that the door to the mccann children bedroom was left wide open but he didn't hear any noise and didn't actually look into the bedroom feeling that no news was good news and when he didn't hear anything he assumed that everything was all clear at 10 p.m Kate, though, returned to the apartment to do her own check. Kate recalls entering the apartment through the patio doors at the back, and she noticed immediately that the children's bedroom door was wide open again. When she went to close the door, though, it slammed closed and was clearly pushed by a wind draft. That is when she realized that the bedroom window and the shutter were wide open. Madeline's stuffed animal and blanket were still on her bed, but Madeline was sadly nowhere to be seen. At this point, Kate started to frantically search the apartment, but when she couldn't find Madeline anywhere, she ran back towards the restaurant, screaming as loud as she could, Madeline is gone! Someone's taken her! At roughly 10.10 10 p.m., Jerry would send Matthew Oldfield to the reception desk for the resort to get them to call police, and at 10.30 p.m., the resort activated its missing child search protocols. That meant that all staff resort personnel, which was 60 people in total, and some of the other people staying there, searched, and they searched until 4.30 a.m. as they first believed and hoped that Madeline had simply wandered off from her bedroom and the apartment. Everyone was yelling out the little girl's name in hopes that tragedy would be avoided. The first police to respond to the call were two officers from the Guarda Nacional Republicana, and they arrived at the resort at around 11.10 p.m. from Lagos, which is about 8 kilometers away. The two would conduct a brief search of the premises and then notify the criminal police soon after. See, in Portugal, they do have different levels of police, so when they determined that someone was physically actually missing and that there could have been wrongdoing that was done, that's why they would reach out to the criminal police. The criminal police would not arrive on site until just past 1 a.m., according to Kate, although the police do state that they arrived within 10 minutes of being called. There's definitely a lot of uh, back and forth on this particular part of the case. Uh, as we do have the original call to police being made, um, the original two police officers came to the scene, did a preliminary investigation, and then as I said, they did call the criminal police to come to the scene afterwards. Um, now, just after 1 a.m., if you're keeping score Would be three hours after Madeline was first noticed to be missing. That is a long time if that timeline is exactly correct. Then you open up a whole new uh, bunch of questions. You're wondering, you start to wonder if an immediate phone call was made to the criminal police or if the call came later or who isn't telling the total truth here? Um, Do you have a mom? who maybe thought that way more time went by because her daughter was missing, you can definitely excuse her for being frantic. Um, do you have the national police not making that phone call immediately to the criminal police? Or are the criminal police lying to cover their tracks by saying that they got there within 10 minutes? It's definitely a little frigazy, and I couldn't obviously nail anything down because you've got so many different stories um, covering this time frame. What we do know is that at 2 a.m., two patrol dogs were brought to the resort, and at 8 a.m., four search and rescue dogs were brought and added to the case. This seems like a long time. This is roughly four hours having passed since Madeline was discovered to be gone and the search and rescue dogs were brought in. There's a lot of focus really put on this um, in the time since it happened, but at this point, strictly speaking as a parent, I'd be absolutely beside myself if I felt like an investigation and search were moving this slowly after my three-year-old daughter could not be found. I remember how bent out of shape I was when we had a break-and-enter at our house, and I almost beat the police to our house from over an hour away. In that case, everyone was thankfully safe, but this seems absolutely an atrocious timeline. Situations like the one that we had make me realize that we never really can understand what someone is going through. What happened here with Madeline is undoubtedly so much worse, and they're still dealing with that fresh wound every day of their lives today. To make matters worse on the ground, though, it has been acknowledged that mistakes were made in that crucial time right after Madeline disappeared. Neither Border nor Marine police in Portugal were alerted or given a description of Madeline for many, many hours, and officers did not even start knocking on doors in and around the resort for a long time. Roadblocks, according to Kate, were not even put into place near the resort until 10 a.m. the following morning. If you're keeping track, that's 12 hours after Madeline was noticed to be missing. For point of reference, there are many ports and marinas that are easily within a half hour of where Madeline was last seen in Praia da Luz. What makes matters even worse is that the crime scene was not even secured. Samples were taken from the bedroom and sent for forensic testing, but the apartment itself was not even closed off to anyone. The apartment would then be closed off to tourists after that for about a month, and then rented out again until August of 2007 when police decided to shut it down to do more tests. That was three months after Madeline went missing and after who knows how many other people had been in the house since the disappearance. I also read that not everyone that was even at the resort at the time was interviewed by Portuguese police. People that were at the resort actually had to go out of their own way to contact british police after news broke of the disappearance and interpol didn't even issue a global missing person alert until five days after madeline had been missing i was not kidding when i said that there's a lot of police scrutiny to go around on this one it didn't take long at all for police in the united kingdom to attempt to get involved in the case It's widely reported, though, that much as we often see when police from other jurisdictions try to work together, they don't do so very well. It's been reported that the first response from Portuguese police was to turn down police from the UK and their assistance in this matter. Even after the police from the UK did eventually become involved, it was always a Portuguese inquiry. The police from Leicestershire formed a Gold Group, which involved officers from their force as well as representatives from the Serious Organized Crime Agency, or the SOCA, the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Center, and the National Police Improvement Agency. While the police in Portugal gave space to this team eventually, they resented the presence of the team and felt that it looked bad on them to have all of this extra assistance from outside the country. I guess that they were unaware that what was really giving them a bad name was the awful police work that they had conducted to this point. But I digress. Police in Portugal believed that the McCanns were suspects from the very beginning of this case, as was disclosed by an officer in 2010. It was believed that the McCanns were showing their guilt by creating a media circus and frenzy around their missing daughter, the McCanns actually did hire a PR firm very early in the case so that Madeline would be kept very much in the public eye. I can understand that having this media frenzy going on would drive the police, in fact, crazy. It's a lot more questions, a lot more eyes, and a lot of people probably getting in the way. But, I mean, let's be honest if you had the money, and this family clearly did, they were both physicians. If you had the money to hire an agency, and you thought it would give you even a 1% better chance of finding your daughter, wouldn't you hire a PR agency? I understand fully that a family in this situation would always be looked at as suspects on some level, but the reasoning here is definitely a bit off. Although I have definitely harped in the past on families for making a lot of money off their story. I don't think that this was out of guilt or uh, lust for attention at all. I think that this looks like a family who genuinely believed that they should do everything, and I mean everything, that they could possibly do to find their daughter. This is, the kind, of, this is kind of a look at the other side of that coin that we do talk about on GBNF with money making a difference. We do talk a lot about how police seem to up their level of care, so to speak, when money is involved. But when you have the means and the contacts like the McCann's did, it does definitely create more options and more opportunity to try and act quickly and cast as wide of a net as possible. And to be honest, we can see that the police in Portugal did not do that on their own. They did not set up roadblocks, they did not put out a missing person report to anyone that would possibly be creating a way out of the country for this young girl and whoever took her. Sadly, we don't know definitively what happened to Madeline, so in this case, while it did succeed in becoming a massive case in the public eye, it did not bring any resolution. There was a lot of publicity on this case, and people still debate if there was too much or if the media was in fact jumping on the bandwagon so that they could sell more magazines or newspapers or whatever their wares were at that time. Madeline was even on the cover of People magazine on the 28th of May, 2008. Her story was also front-page news on almost every single British tabloid every day, for 6 straight months. So you can imagine like this was you did not know especially if you lived in the UK. You there was no way you did not know who Madeline McCann was. So, let's talk a bit about suspects along the way. The first suspect or arguido in Portugal was named 12 days after Madeline had disappeared. The man's name was Robert Murat, and he was 34 years old at the time. Robert was a British-Portuguese property consultant who was living in his mother's home, Casa Liliana, only 137 meters away from apartment 5A. Robert became the first suspect because he lived in the direction that the man Tanner had seen with the young child was walking one of the reasons that robert became of interest is that he was pointed out by a journalist as someone who was sniffing around the case a lot and always asking to know more about the case on the night of madeline's disappearance robert was actually called by someone at the resort to come in as an official interpreter so that they could translate while interviewing people about the case so To me, Robert looked like someone who was trying to help. He was someone that was called to come and help. But unfortunately, there were some things that made him look guilty. Robert had been identified by Fiona Payne, Russell O'Brien, and Rachel Oldfield, three members of the Tapas Seven, as as having been seen near apartment 5A not long after Madeline disappeared. So obviously that set some alarm bells off. He was on the scene pretty quick an ocean club nanny and two other british nationals on holidays also identified having seen robert nearby robert though did have an alibi as he and his mother said that he had been home the entire evening with her robert's mother would have the house searched the pool drained Cars, computers, phones, and videotapes all examined by the police because they were so sure that Robert was a part of this. Sniffer dogs were also used on the premises, all of that in an attempt to get hits and evidence against Robert. All of that, though, would be for naught, as there was no evidence to tie Robert or any of his known associates to the disappearance. He was cleared officially as an arguido on July 21st, 2008. Robert would actually receive in April of 2008 600,000 pounds in an out-of-court settlement as he sued for libel. His friends, who the police had also investigated, also received 100,000 pounds in a settlement. So as you can see, again, we're coming across a lot of strange things in this case. They absolutely went after robert harassed him and his mother um and put it seems like pretty much everything they had into this basket that robert was the guy and unfortunately you as you can see it backfired a lot of money went out um his name was definitely dragged through the mud here there was also another person of interest that came up in witness statements and that was a blonde man who appeared to also have been working with other men in and around apartment 5a during the entire week that the McCanns were there. This blonde man in particular came up in multiple reports as police tried to narrow their search down. The blonde man was seen to have been seemingly surveilling the entire area around 5A, and also the police reported that they had seen a rise in burglaries in the area in the months leading up to Madeline's disappearance, and the burglaries were being committed by entering through windows, so you can see the parallels here. As always seems to be the case in situations like this, eventually the McCanns would also be looked at, as we mentioned, as possible suspects in the case. About a month after Madeline went missing, a German journalist was seemingly the first person to actually ask Jerry and Kate at a press conference if they were involved in this disappearance. Articles would then start to pop up discussing inconsistencies in the stories that came up from members of the Tapas Seven and the couple themselves. Some articles even blatantly said Jerry and Kate were suspects. One of the steps that was taken as the McCanns were being looked into was that the Portugal Criminal Police, the PJs, asked for Britain's help in searching for Madeline's body. As part of the crew that came to Portugal, there was a forensic investigation dog and also an enhanced victim recovery dog. The dogs were taken to Apartment 5A on July 31, 2007, nearly two months after the disappearance. They were also taken to wasteland that was located nearby and the beach. Both of the dogs alerted behind the sofa in Apartment 5A, One alerted to the wardrobe in the main bedroom, which would be where Kate and Jerry were staying. There were not any hits at either the beach or the nearby wasteland. What's damning here is that the cadaver dog is trained to only alert if they sense that a cadaver is present or has been present. The cadaver dog hitting in the apartment and later on in Kate's clothing and the car that the family had rented in portugal after madeline's disappearance was something that definitely did leave to police believing that there may be more going on with the McCanns. after some dna markers were found in the trunk of the car seemingly matched with madeline things started in a fervor the reality though is that the markings were not enough and too faulty of a small sample to truly prove anything but the PJ jumped into action. The McCanns were called back to police headquarters from the UK and were made official arguidos in the case. According to Kate, at this time the police told her that if she was to admit that Madeline had died in an accident in the apartment and that they had hidden the body, she would serve a maximum of two years in jail and Jerry would not be charged at all. They were officially filed as our on September 7th. The McCanns were advised not to answer questions during their police interview by their lawyer. Jerry, however, did answer questions, but Kate did not reply to almost 50 questions that were asked of her over an 11-hour interrogation and interview. So I want to stop here and say... Obviously, there is a little bit of evidence if it's not minimal or, um, you know, there's definitely problems with it. That DNA evidence that was found in the car, um, there was not a lot there. There was not. This was not a clear cut. The DNA matched. Let's go. To me, I almost feel like the police were like, well, you know, it's been so many months. We have all these other police authorities involved. The media sniffing everywhere. Let's just get this done, one way or another. Let's get her to admit that something happened, and we can go on. So, I mean, I just... I can't imagine. It's strange, for sure. But, believe it or not, it's gonna get stranger. The McCanns were allowed to return home to the UK, and they did. But on September 10th, 2007... Chief Inspector Tavares de Almeida from the PJ signed off on a report that was nine pages long and officially listed a conclusion to the case. You can guess, the conclusion was that Madeline had died as a result of an accident inside apartment 5A and the meal that the Tapas 7 had and the routine checks on the children had all been part of an elaborate cover-up by everyone that was there. The report went on to say that the Tapas 7 has misled police and the McCanns had concealed Madeline's body before faking the entire abduction and the disappearance. Even though it appeared that there was attempts by the police to charge and find guilty the family, that never would come to fruition. We should note that some of the parties that were involved in the McCann case had also been suspected of beating and placing blame on another couple whose child had disappeared. That couple had been found guilty of covering up their own child's situation, and because of that, for obvious reasons, there was even more intense scrutiny upon the witch hunt that was going on for Jerry and Kate. On July 21, 2008, the inquiry into Madeline McCann was officially closed. The PJ announced that there was no evidence to link either the McCanns or Robert to the disappearance. Their status as suspects was also lifted, and the case was left closed and unsolved. Only three days later, a book, though, would be released that dumped out all of the quote-unquote facts that pointed towards the McCann family and the cover-up. The McCanns would file a libel suit against the author, who was a former member of the police, and they won. They received over £600,000 also in this ruling. Throughout the years, there would be varying levels of investigation done by three different police forces. Obviously, the police in Portugal, the police in Scotland Yard from the UK... And, as we'll discuss in a moment, the German police, who started making waves and news in 2020, and just recently had more released for the public. So, let's get into that. The belief is, there is a new suspect, and that suspect is listed by German police only as Christian B, but it is Christian Bruckner. Bruckner was a 43-year-old man who could be placed near the Ocean Club at the time of Madeline's disappearance. It's believed that he was living in a borrowed camper van nearby, and upon interview, his girlfriend at the time told police that Bruckner had told her the day before Madeline disappeared that he, quote, had a job to do in Praia da Luz tomorrow. It's a horrible job, but it's something I have to do, and it will change my life unquote. He also went on to tell her that she wouldn't be seeing him for a while. His car, a Jaguar XJR6, was sold the day after Madeline went missing, which raised even more suspicion. This guy definitely is starting to look a little shady, I think. So let's talk a little bit about all of that. At the time, the German police went public with their investigation and the connection between Christian and Madeline. Christian was serving a seven-year sentence for the rape of a 72-year-old woman in Portugal. He's also still in jail today in Germany over drug charges as well. So as you can tell, this is a man who had a history. I have to say, the more I read about Christian, my spidey senses... Started to go off and I mean usually those senses go off when you hear that police are targeting someone who's already in jail for a crime. Um, But I mean I often do think that this is just a simple way to close the case and make it go away. But this guy lines up with reports of a blonde man casing out the ocean club like we just talked about in the days around Madeline's disappearance. There definitely could be some meat on the bone here. Because the investigation, though, is in a Portuguese jurisdiction, Portuguese police would need to officially name Bruckner as an official suspect in the case, which they did only a few weeks ago before we recorded this podcast. Christian, for his part, has stated furiously and started furiously writing letters to try to get ahead of all of this, stating his pure innocence in the matter of Madeleine McCann. Not a lot is known yet about how they came to this conclusion or whether Christian will be sent to Portugal for questioning, but the timing of the announcement that there was a new suspect is actually very important here. May 3rd, 2022 was the official 15-year anniversary of when Madeleine McCann went missing, and in Portugal, that is where the statute of limitations officially runs out what that means is that any suspect in this case would need to be named before that 15 year anniversary and they really can't name a new suspect if they want to press charges after that date passes so this renewed drive to charge christian bruckner has reason and the time frame makes sense one thing we do know is that obviously we do know there is some evidence Christian's cell phone was tracked as being at least next door to 5A on the night that Madeline McCann disappeared. So I would reckon this has got to be some some news and some evidence, at least, um, I guess, as good of news as you could hope to get in a case like this. Um, Obviously, for closure, hopefully, we hope that that is true and that Christian is the person that for 15 years almost got away with this. But it's also not good news because... Along with the report that the German police feel that they have this suspect in custody and there is very strong evidence against him, they have also stated that they believe that the evidence that they have also points to the fact that Madeleine McCann was indeed murdered and she was murdered by Christian Bruckner. So it would seem that the police in Germany are operating under the assumption now that Madeline was indeed kidnapped and murdered. And as we put this case together, that's the last that we really know. Sadly, yes. If the police are indeed on the right track and they have the man that's guilty, they do believe that Madeline has passed away. For the family's part, though, they have not completely given up hope that Madeline is, in fact, alive somewhere. They released a statement just weeks ago on April 22, 2022, on their website, which is findmadeline.com, that said, quote, We welcome the news that the Portuguese authorities have declared a German man in Arguido in relation to the disappearance of our beloved daughter Madeline. This reflects progress in the investigation being conducted by the Portuguese, German, and British authorities. We are kept informed of developments by the Metropolitan Police. It is important to note the Arguido has not yet been officially charged with any specific crime related to Madeline's disappearance. Even though the possibility may be slim We have not given up hope that Madeline is still alive and we will be reunited with her, My heart just goes out to them and everyone involved here. I definitely think that you have to grasp for that hope no matter what until you can't anymore. I'm sure that most days that's what keeps families going when they're in this situation. I can't imagine that you can ever give up hope until you have that unequivocal evidence. That closure, so to speak. That's why you hear so much about families that still conduct searches for evidence, suspects, and hope every day after their child disappears. I don't think that it could ever be anything more than an obsession and a driving force in your life. So I think at this point, I'm gonna sum things up and say I do, I have to say that personally. I feel as though Christian Bruckner is probably the answer here, and this is literally just opinion. As I said, this is all fresh breaking news, and um, I'm sure we're going to have an update episode in the future over this. Um, All we know now is that Christian was named before the statute of limitations went out, Um, and like I said, the German police feel with their investigation that they have enough evidence to believe that this is the guy that did it, or at least had part a part in this, and this is and this same evidence is the reason that they believe that Madeline was murdered. Um, I will leave it there for now. I don't want to put too much personal spin on things, especially with a case that's still going on, uh, because there is obviously definitely a chance that um, this case is just out of the statute of limitations now um christian bruckner is not the guy and we may never actually know i just pray for the family that that is not the ending that we get here regardless of how it ends i just i hope pray and just want to see closure so without any further ado i will put a wrap on this episode on madeline mccann for the time being And I do hope that we have an update episode in the near future that lines up with what the McCann family hopes. Of course, that being that Madeline is still alive and well somewhere. I hope that we get to discuss a miraculous case of a family reunited. Failing that, like I said, I do hope that we find whatever answers are needed for some small sense of closure in this case. So... There's nothing left to do other than to say thank you, our listeners, again for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. We'll see you next week.